Hello and welcome to the Oz Investing Podcast, the podcast for the everyday investor. Just a quick note before we begin today's podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be considered as personal financial advice. If you're ever in doubt about your financial situation, please reach out to a qualified financial advisor. With all that said and done, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Oz Investing Podcast. My name is Sam and with me as always is my buddy Jude. How are you, Jude? Doing well, mate. How are you? Very well, thanks. I'm extremely excited about today's podcast because we have another guest on. I'm very excited to welcome Jimmy from the Rookie Investor YouTube channel. Jimmy, how are you? Good, guys. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining the podcast, Jimmy. And, you know, I think when it comes to your content, the one thing which really comes to my mind when I say and look at your content on YouTube is, you know, the simplicity. It's the way you try and, uh, you know, explain these concepts to, you know, the everyday investor, maybe, right? And you know your audience, you cater your content towards the rookie investors. And especially for people who really want to learn about investments and about the various instruments out there. So, Jimmy, like we've, we've heard of you from your YouTube channel, but can you give us a quick introduction to our listeners and tell us what inspired you to start the YouTube channel for uh, for the listeners? Yeah, well, um, guys, I'm, I'm 28 years old. I'm from Brisbane. I actually work uh, as an electrician, believe it or not. So, yeah, work that early, early shift, long days. But I, uh, I live with my soon-to-be wife and I've got a little border collie as well. So we, we like to keep a pretty chilled-out life. But I guess for me, the main reason why I started the Rookie Investors YouTube channel was actually because like basically when that stock market dropped last year due to COVID really, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people that I would speak to at work or in my personal life, you know, around my age in their 20s and 30s had real mixed opinions on what that stock market drop meant and like what Mm -hmm. was actually happening. So, you know, some people would say, you know, oh, that's this is exactly why I would never invest in the stock market. You know, look what everyone's lost all their money. While a lot of other people would sort of say, oh, well, you know, it's a good time to buy now. So I think it was kind of clear to me that younger people were interested in talking about it, but it needed mm-hmm. to be explained to them in a more relatable sense. So that's kind of why I came up with the whole name, you know, the rookie investor, just to kind of make it all simplistic. Awesome. Really good, really good, and that's a nice that's a nice background story in in a way because. You know, I think there are very few times where you actually experience a crash of that magnitude, right? I think mm. last time was, I think, 2008, 2009. I think a During lot of people GFC. were apprehensive by that. Yep, yep. A lot of people apprehensive back then. That was a major, major crash. We had, you know, glimpses of it at different points of time. I think there was a drop around the 2016 and 18 time frame smaller, as well. Smaller kind of drops. But then, yeah, the only significant one kind of to note was obviously, you know, when when COVID hit, but during my time investing, I never, you know, kind of experienced a downturn. Like I, I invested maybe a year and a half before COVID hit. And then, you know, it was all kind of humming along pretty well. And then COVID hit and yeah, I also didn't know too much of, of what to make of it. So it is interesting to hear your comments, Jimmy, about different people having different opinions about whether or not, you know, it's a good time to buy in or whether or not, oh, look, you know, the stock market's no good. Look, look what's happening here. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly right. It's like, I mean, no one can predict the future. So it's kind of like mm. a bit of a weird experience for everyone to see, you know, 30 plus percent drop, you know, in the in the course of a month or two. You know what I mean? So, yeah, um, 
So just wanted to ask, you, you seem pretty switched on for a 28-year-old. What kind of first exposed you to the concept of investing or just money in general? Well, I don't know. I suppose for me, I think I've always had, you know, fairly good role models starting even from like my grandparents and my parents. So before I even thought of investing at all, like even when I was a young teenager, I was probably like just surrounded with people who had like good money habits. So uh, at that point, I probably didn't even really like take consideration in that. But, you know, now I'm thankful that, you know, I'm looking back on it, I'm thankful for those sort of lessons I was taught. But the investing came a little bit later when I sort of moved out of home, to be honest, and I sort mm-hmm. of started researching that sort of stuff on my own. Right. Fair enough. So the role models you were talking about, they never invested in the stock market? Did they invest in property at all or anything like that? Well, you know, starting back, you know, from my grandparents, particularly my my even my great grandfather was massive on property. So, mm, he, mm, you know, in country in, in country Victoria, he really uh, purchased you know a lot of land around that Ballarat area, mm, and so mm. you know that sort of passed down. And, and my my granddad himself would, was heavily involved in in high high dividend stocks. So he would, you right. know. Not old faithful, you know, Commonwealth Bank, all that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> you know, he, he, I think he's got, yeah, he's got something stupid amount of Combank shares, but oh, it's, right, you know, right. it's, it's, it's safe as houses in terms of, you know, that perspective, you know. Yes, but, yes. Um, and so, yeah, so only until I was a bit later, until I really started asking questions about that sort of stuff and, and realizing what he was actually doing with his money. It's always a good uh, blueprint to follow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, like when you're sort of younger, you don't, you sort of are what, you know, your parents are in a lot of ways without you realizing it. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm just lucky that that was something that they took, um, you know, in high priority, really. Yeah, that's that's great. That's great to hear. So, uh, Jimmy, another thing, like, you know, when I was going through your content on YouTube, you know, you speak a lot about, you know, some of your sources. And I think what you, you're a big advocate in terms of the rule one investing by Phil Town. And, you know, have you read any of his other books? Because I think he's done Payback Time. There was one by his daughter as well, uh, you know, invested. Any sources that, you know, uh, are a must that I read, uh, you know, as a read to you, like in a way for the listeners, like something they have to read to gain some level of basic understanding of, you know, finances and, you know, investments? Yeah, well, starting off with the actual Rule One book by Phil Towns, um, you know, a friend of mine actually recommended that to me. And I'm, I'm super glad that he did because that pretty much, that's really shaped the way I am now. So I really love that book because, you know, it doesn't necessarily teach you too much about the actual workings of the stock market. And it's not too complicated in that respect, but it more so teaches you like the difference between a good and a bad investment. It makes mm-hmm. that very simplistic. So there are some very good lessons that I learned from that book. Plus, like, I, I love it too because I'm not a huge reader. So you know, like I even, you know, found it very easy to remain engaged throughout that whole book. So um, I, I definitely recommend that as a good starting point. The Intelligent Investor is another good one. But apart from that, mm. like I I really prefer, you know, taking in, in things through video. So, you know, there are some good books that I just mentioned, but, you know, I, it just suit whatever suits you, just find mm-hmm. that. So whether that's video or book, whatever you find easy to consume, uh, I would just say do that. No, that's a, that's a good point because, yeah, everyone's different. Everyone learns in a different way. Some people may absorb, you know, reading a book better. Some may 
absorb video better. And I think video sometimes helps as well when there's some graphs and there's some things, some visual content to help explain. And I'm hoping people listening to the podcast find audio helpful as well. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like that's mm. that's exactly right. Cool. So also with your current stock portfolio, when I went through your videos, I've noticed that it does consist mainly of individual stocks. So can I just ask how you went about picking those particular stocks? Is it more or less the way Phil Town describes it in his Rule 1 book? Did you kind of go through that same process that he outlines? Do you look into companies that are in your circle of competency? Yeah, so I, I do primarily have individual stocks in my portfolio and, you know, mm. Uh, largely the way I invest is modelled, you know, from that Warren Buffett approach. Like there's mm, no doubt yeah. about that. That's what I've found to be um, very simplistic for me. But, you know, when I research a company, I make sure that their history has been solid, first and foremost. That 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 is, you know, very important for me. And I, and I mm, make sure yeah. that a lot of their key financial areas from the past, you know, have been moving in the upward direction consistently. Yeah, um, that yeah. really gives me a good understanding of, of how the business is structured and, and how they actually make money. You know, checking these things for me is a good way to limit risk. I mean, as much as, you know, as much as risk can be limited. So, you know, the last thing we want to do is actually lose money. So the more information we can find out about a stock, the better for my for mine anyway. But, you know, I, I actually do go a few, like in terms of the, the things that I actually look for in terms of those numbers, I go through those sort of things on my videos. I don't really want to talk about that too much because it gets a little bit, a little bit numbers, mm-hmm. but yeah, you can, you can sort of look at that sort of stuff on my YouTube. But when we're actually talking about like the circle of, like the circle of competency, for me as an investor, that means that you really only want to invest in companies or sectors that, that you feel like you have, you know, expertise in or like an inside knowledge. Like, I do that to an extent, but for me, you know, there's only so many sectors within the market that I feel like I, you know, have an upper hand in. So to get around that and actually diversify more like my portfolio, it's more so for me making sure that whatever investment I'm partaking in, that it's actually, you know, it has a competitive advantage over other companies in that sector. So rather than just following the circle of competency, for me, the major thing is actually just making sure whatever company I invest in is, you know, providing something that another company in that market or in that sector cannot provide. So if I can do mm-hmm. that, then I know that that company, you know, has a has a good chance of, of succeeding in the future. Yeah, Jimmy. So I think, you know, the next thing about, you know, based on what you just mentioned, how you you analyze individual stocks, you you've also spoken about penny stocks in your videos and obviously this this type of investment seems to be a little bit more you know a little bit more riskier than you know traditionally uh, established uh, companies right in a way but can you explain some of the things you look for while screening penny stocks any principles you follow from rule one and basically how you try to maintain some level of precaution for these riskier investments yeah so i mean penny stocks for me can definitely you know, bring a little bit more risk generally because of the fact that they don't really have much performance history. So they are, they're either, you know, only been around for a few years or, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, so I do feel a lot better when I can see how a company has done in the past, but mm-hmm. I definitely, there is room for penny stocks within a balanced portfolio. Like 
when I research a penny stock, I try to follow, uh, you know, the same method as I normally would where possible. Mm -hmm. But for me, the biggest thing, you know, that I have to ask myself when investing in a penny stock is, does this company have a good potential for growth? And is it going to provide anything new to that sector that the other competitors aren't? So that oh, that's, is, is one of the major things, particularly for a penny stock, is because you don't necessarily have that, you know, that history that you would usually, you kind of need to find other ways to determine if that stock's going to be, you know, profitable in the future. All right. All right. But I think I also heard you saying that, you know, there is obviously scope for a portion of your portfolio to be exposed to these penny stocks. Uh, a rough, you know, benchmark which you follow personally, like how much around a five, ten percent. How uh, how do you play around with that, uh, you know, that percentage of penny stocks in your portfolio? Yeah, well, I suppose I am still young, so in saying that, getting any sort of level of portfolio balance is very hard, regardless if you're young or not. So um, I'm certainly not perfect in terms of where my portfolio is sitting right now, but. I think I think around 10% is is fairly is fairly good in terms of having penny stocks within that portfolio. Got it. Got it. Mm. So so I think from what I can understand maybe is obviously penny stocks there is an opportunity but you need to analyze them the similar way like how you would go about analyzing any individual company, right? Just try to see uh you know whether they've got an advantage over what they offer with their competitors and you know whether they've got a scope to to grow in the future. So that's some good insights in terms of trying to, you know, at least shortlist some of these companies which are penny stocks, right? So that's pretty good. Mm. Moving on now to something else. So property is always an interesting investment and um, there's always that debate, of course, about properties um, versus the share market. And Jimmy, for yourself, you managed to actually buy a house at a very young age. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about how you did that? How did you save that deposit? Well, I was actually uh, I was actually an apprentice working, and and I was able to to be lucky enough to live at my parents' house with very cheap rent, mind you. So mm. um, I was pretty lucky in that regard. But at the same time, like I was able to save quite well over that four year apprenticeship, and so. By the time that I was in that last year, I had a fairly decent deposit uh, ready to go at the age of around 21 or 22. So, yep. you know, during that year, I, I was able to meet my fiance now. So that was yeah about six years ago, and we both shared the same goal of of being able to move out of our of our family homes, but not actually have to pay rent. You know what I mean? So uh, mm. we were pretty happy that uh, I, I was pretty lucky that I met someone with a similar goal as well. Awesome, awesome. Yep. I think that that plays such an important part, right? I mean, you say you need to have some levels of, you know, uh, like how they say you the opposite view as well, but you need to have someone who you can share a similar thought process. So, you know, some sort of commonality helps. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> now, so I think just just touching upon that particular point as well on the property markets, right, Jimmy? Uh, you know what we're facing right now in Australia? The property markets have just gone through the roof in a way are you are you thinking of building up another deposit for a house maybe in terms of property investments as an avenue or do you think that just uh, you know continue to build your stock portfolio which is the better approach well just quickly the market is ridiculous right now by the way the housing market i don't know what it's like uh, where where you are you know in down in victoria but i'm struggling but i'm struggling man 
It's crazy. In Brisbane, it's just out of control. I mean, obviously, I'm using Brisbane as an example because that's, you know, what I'm seeing firsthand. But some house prices around this area are going absolutely nuts. But that is a good question. Like, for years, I've actually... I've actually had the thought that I would just buy you know, buy another house and rent the one out that I'm in now. But mm-hmm. to be honest, now that we've actually built the equity and actually saved a good deposit again, we've been actually swayed more so to the stock market. So I think for us, you know, it, it's a number of reasons why we've, we've swayed back to that stock market as our future investment. But I think the main reason why we've sort of swayed that direction is because of the fact that we can get st- you know, solid returns without actually having to actively manage anything or or stress about, you know, having to, you know, things breaking down or having to maintain the house. So I think that's our future is is to, to stay in the house we're in or, or at least, um, you know, be happy with where we are living. But at the same time, mm-hmm, any, mm-hmm. any extra cash is going to the stock market. All right. So one of your most watched videos, Jimmy, is the plus 500 review for beginners. Can you just give a very quick summary of what plus 500 is and what are CFDs? Yeah, so really basically plus 500 is a, an online broker platform that you can engage in in many different investments worldwide. To be honest, the reason I made the video on plus 500 originally was because when I first started looking into investing, they always used to come up on my phone ads and spam. <laughs> Did you see it also on YouTube, like the YouTube ads for, yeah. I don't know, some, some other investing uh, videos on YouTube? Did it come up all the time at the beginning? Oh, all the time, like Facebook, <laughs> everything. I was like, because I, I think I Googled one day, where, like how to start investing. And it was like, yep. ever since then, Plus 500 just had a monopoly on the ads. Yeah. So, <laughs> but um, their, mar- their marketing team, A+. plus. But uh, anyway, <laughs> when, when I went... So when I actually went into Plus 500 and I got sucked in by the ads, I signed up and, and I really had no idea about the way that they trade and, and actually what a CFD was. So I wanted to, to actually make a really simple video explaining that process and, and, you know, to try and prevent other sort of rookies from being as confused as I was. So yep, uh, yep. C, CFDs are basically, they're short for contracts for difference. So to put it simply, when you invest in a CFD, you aren't actually buying that investment to own. All you're actually doing is engaging in a contract for difference. So whereby you stand to make or lose money depending if that investment goes up or down. And so that contract has an end date as well. So it's not like if you buy it, you know, it's yours to keep. So it's very important to understand that when choosing an online broker because some of these online brokers are CFD traders only. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what plus 500 is. So you know, you, you, you really kind of need to know that prior to investing. Yeah, I, I believe you can set a, a, an expiry date on that on that contract. So, yeah, I mean, they do provide it's it's an interesting way to trade. I'm not I'm not entirely against it, but it's just it's something that people need to, to just be aware of, at least that, you know, you're not actually you know, you're not buying something that's yours. You're just basically stipulating on the price. Mm. Got it. Got it. So talking about complicated instruments and investments, have you considered using options? Do you know if like Self Wealth allows you to trade options or you know any platform that will? Yeah, to be honest, uh, you know I'm someone who who likes to buy and own something for a long period mm. of time. 
So it's not really something that I've looked into too seriously. But I, I am a self-wealth user and, and I did read that they were looking to start trading options on the American side of their platform. So I'm mm. not exactly sure if that's currently active now. I probably should check that. But to be honest, at this stage, it's not really something that actually interests me. But not not to say it won't in the future. Like I, I, I get bored, so I might have a look. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's something that June and I have been meaning to do for a little while. I have looked into it, but not deeply enough. And I don't know actually how to implement it in practice. But I think at some point we'll look into it a bit more and probably do a podcast on it. So, yeah, stay tuned. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do one and I'll learn from you guys. You can tell me everything you know about options. (laughs) Cool, cool. Sam, from the two of us, Sam is the one who's more interested. (laughs) <laughs> I, pretty, I pretty much, pretty much try to keep it pretty simple. But yeah. Sam says, let's let's just have one which is, you know, put a, some content out there which covers options. So we said, okay, we, we that's something which we plan for the future. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll I'll definitely listen to that, no doubt. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And what are your thoughts, Jimmy, on alternative investments? So things like Bitcoin and gold. I think a lot of people kind of talk and speculate especially around bitcoin do you think they have a place in a diversified portfolio especially something like bitcoin what do you reckon yeah i mean at the end of the day i think diversity is always a good thing so i i think provided it's it's allocated properly to the portfolio and you're not you know you're not being overly you know, overly excited by things like Bitcoin and, you know, you might set aside 5% of your portfolio, whatever it may be. I, I think it's I think it's good to have there. To be fair, like, I don't really understand Bitcoin. I'm not sure how many people actually thoroughly understand exactly what it does and what's actually going to happen. But, yeah, I think it, there is certainly room. A small percentage of your, of, of your portfolio should certainly be allocated to something like that, you know, some sort of some sort of investment like you know whether it be gold or or bitcoin whatever whatever sort of you're interested in Mm. i've got a very minor stake in it and that's because i bought it ages ago in 2017 when everyone was talking about it but aside from that i i haven't invested since so (laughs) (laughs) it's probably smart provided you you know you're allocating a smaller percentage of of what you're doing like the Mm, the mm. the potential for the high growth is is ridiculous so yes you know why not why not and I think it's it's going to get a bit more interesting. I think uh, I'm I'm pretty sure you guys must have heard about it. I think they were all about trying to create an ETF, which is tracking the Bitcoin market. And I think if that gets sanctioned and gets approved, I think that's going to be another avenue for you know people to get or get uh, exposure to Bitcoins via the ETF. So. It's going to open up a bit, is what I think. I, but, I think know, that just... would be actually pretty cool because I think purchasing it off Coinbase or CoinJar or, or, or some other kind of platform <laughs> like that, I didn't look at fees and things like that beforehand, but from what I know now, it's actually pretty expensive. So if there's an ETF and there's a low-cost way of investing into it, I would actually be interested if i'm being perfectly honest <laughs> yeah I, I i think i would be too that's that's actually to be fair dude that's the first time i've heard of that so that's awesome i'm gonna google that yeah yeah i think you just just have have a look at it because i think what they were planning to do is i think first obviously any of these products which first come in are you know released in the us maybe because i think that's where the market is 
And then, you know, obviously they try to replicate it in other countries. But I think that was the thought that they were going to start off with like an, you know, ETF or ETF theme, very similar to something like which tracks the Bitcoin market. And I thought it'll be pretty interesting to see how it goes because, uh, you know, I guess any any thematic ETFs are, uh, you know, if it's an interest area, it's always good to try and explore it, right? So that's an interesting space to look out for uh, in terms of Bitcoins, but, but to keep it, pretty simple right for for like the rookie investor uh, you know micro investing apps are a good base to really start off just to get them into that habit yeah in terms of you know investing saving the right amount of money and you know putting small portions into it so i think from from the three have you used the, the comsec pocket raise or the spaceship uh, micro investing applications and what what are your what's your thought on those applications uh, I actually haven't personally used them, but I know people who have used Raise, and I've and I've actually done a video on my channel about Raise, just looking at, you know, because obviously they they have preset investment options just to simplify that for the user. So I actually think the I, I, the app, that particularly looking at Raise, the app was really easy to use, and I think they do a good job. Um, you know, it, it's really suited to people who want to put away money for their future and and they're, you know, considering their, their, their money goals and down the track, but you know, they don't really want to have the hassle of having to research stocks and buy and sell. So there's a, certainly a good, a good place for them in the market, no doubt. Mm. Yeah. I reckon they're a good place to start also for beginners. June and I have been meaning to kind of do a more dedicated podcast related uh, to this. So hopefully we'll, we'll get the chance to release that soon, but they're, they're an interesting bunch. Yeah, I think I think, and as you rightly pointed out, things. I mean, in terms of, I think each one has got its pros and cons. Like I think I've explored a bit in terms of Comsec Pocket and Spaceship. In a way, I think it's pretty good. In a way, if you want a more hands-off approach, right? Just invest in it, and you know, let the let it just accumulate over a period of time. But yeah, I guess each each of those three are good avenues for anyone to really start off with because you know it it, it kind of inculcates that habit of regularly saving and putting away some money for the future. So that's a good starting point. And then obviously once you get a little bit more exposure, then you know you can start moving on to the bigger things in you know individual companies or you know ETFs, whichever you're comfortable with in the future. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So Jimmy, you did a video recently on buying and holding ETFs and you spoke about broad market ETFs as being good avenues to invest in. What are your thoughts though about thematic ETFs? So things like technology, robotics, cybersecurity, are any of those considerations for your portfolio in the future? Yeah, so I am invested in in two, you know, broad ETFs in VAS and VGS. So I've made that no mystery uh, on my channel that I, you know I regularly contribute to those. But mm. in terms of the thematic ETFs, I'm definitely definitely interested in one particular one at the moment. It's it's that BetaShares Robotics and AI ETF. Um, mm. It's uh, it's something that you know anything that for me that inv- involves that technology sector and and looking at innovative ways to for for us to move forward as as people really that kind of excites me i think that's pretty cool and to be honest i i looked i think it started in 2018 that that robotic etf and i mean i know it's only a short period of time but i think the average return is over 15 percent. so that's <laughs> cool um yeah so for sure be interesting to see what it does over 10 years I, i'm definitely tracking it no doubt 
I might oh, too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the tech space is something, as you rightly pointed out, Jimmy, is where the world's kind of heading for the moment, at least. I think the pandemic, in a way, has you know tried and uh, for different companies had that focus on you know technology, digital acceleration, and all of that stuff. So it's not a bad area to explore because I think most of these ETFs kind of have that view that uh, technology is the way moving forward. So yeah, it's it's pretty interesting to have a look at that particular ETF too, you know, going forward. But you know, when you talk about all of these things together, like you know, the thematic ETFs, individual stocks, and all that stuff, like when the most important thing when it comes to portfolio management is how you try and uh, you know adjust for risks. Yeah. So yeah. like you mentioned about the pandemic, yeah, for an instant, what happened a couple of months back. How do you really, uh, you know, how, how did you safeguard your portfolio against a scenario such as the pandemic or any drop in markets, right? Uh, is there a particular series of steps you follow, you recalibrate, you readjust your portfolios? How do, how do you manage risk? Well, to, yeah, because I am a long-term value investor, you know, the, the highs and lows on, on the daily basis don't really phase me. I think... I think when there is a, a large market downturn, though, all that really does for me is is make me like want to find the next company to invest in. To be honest, like I, I see, I almost see the downward trend of a stock market as a really good opportunity, um, mm-hmm. because when the market is down and, and you know stock prices are falling, that doesn't mean that there isn't like really gold companies within that. So there, there always is something out there, and you know it's it's really our job to find those companies that will come out the other side of of those downturns. So for me, it's it's more of just an opportunity. Fantastic, So so you're not the one who basically will shy away when you see a like you see the dip. You're not the one who really is worried that to see a dip. You know because a lot of what I think happens with a lot of investors, right, is as soon as they see there's a drop in their portfolio, I think. You know, that's the and I think that's the worst time they take out their money because they think, you know, they're going to lose everything. But and it could happen, right? Because if you've not done your due diligence, you've not done your research. And if you, you know, just gambled on certain companies which, you know, have not really got that historical backing or, you know, the historical records that could happen. So it's very important that you do your due diligence. But it's good to hear that, you know, when you you're not you're not afraid of the market going down because it is going to happen and that's the nature of the market. It's never going to just go in one direction. There are going to be ups and downs. So it's it's pretty good to hear like, you know, you're not afraid of the downturns. Yeah, well, I suppose the main thing, as I said, so because I am a value investor and, and I follow that process of, of researching a stock, you know, if, if, if I were to be worried about a stock, it wouldn't have passed that initial test in the first place. So I feel mm-hmm. like for me, once I've actually researched the stock and I'm 100% confident, then then once I've actually pressed buy, uh, you know what I mean? I feel confident. And I don't really, I don't lose any sleep at all. Got it. Got oh, that's good to so hear. I, but that's 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 really good to hear. But just just a question, just a follow up on that particular point, right? So you mentioned like you know you've done your due diligence and you basically have hit the buy button, right? But what happens if the if the company, which you know based on your research was it's got everything going for it right it's got a good background good numbers all of that stuff but then you know if there are situations where it continually spirals downwards is there a particular point of time when you say hey you know what the story has changed a bit it's it's better that i you know get out right now 
because it's no longer the same company at the time I, when I analyzed the particular company. So do you have like a, you know, like a trigger point at some point of time where even a good investment for you then, you know, is no longer worth to be invested in the market? Well, touch wood, but that hasn't happened to me just yet. I mean, it's, it's uh, mm-hmm. I had to press the emergency button just yet, um, but I know it will happen. There's no doubt about it. But I think for me, it's, it's, it all comes back down to the competitive advantage. Once again, if that company, you know, if someone else enters that space and, and can provide that same service or a similar service for, you know, uh, the same price or even a cheaper price, then I, I will kind of get an idea that maybe this company isn't going to continue the same as it has in the past in the future. So for me, it's it's about just sort of staying staying into you know on top of the news in that particular sector and just sort of you know monitoring whether that company still has dominance over the market and if i don't feel like it does anymore then mm-hmm. um, i would prefer just to to then sell before it gets to that point hopefully got it got it so if you believe that the company's story has changed since you've invested and if you are at a small loss maybe it would still make sense to exit your position in the company is it yeah, I, I I believe so. Like if, if you if you as an investor have lost faith in in your your investment and you know you might be down five or ten percent, then I think it's better just to to get out. But if you're still you know if you're still confident in what that company provides, and you know you're still confident that they've got a competitive advantage, and it dips, then you know that's that's when you gotta you gotta hold your nerve and just and just you know trust yourself and back yourself in. Oh, that's that's good to hear. So, Sam, what's your take on A2 Milk? Continue to hold on. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring this up. That same thought came across my mind while we were discussing this. Are you talking from experience, dude? Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. So, Jimmy, I'm not sure if you've heard us in our earlier podcast, but Sam and I have some money invested in A2 Milk. And we are hoping for a change in fortune, but all we hear in the news are grim stories, right? So hopefully things change. It's a quality product, guys. I'll go out and grab a couple of uh, a couple of bottles just to to up that revenue for you boys. <laughs> <laughs> let's start. Let's start a movement on this podcast. <laughs> if if you're listening right now, go out and get a, 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 a delicious <laughs> a delicious glass of A2 milk right now. Help out Sam and Jude right now. They need every cent they can get. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> that's good. All right. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. So I think something that a lot of people, especially when they're young, don't really think too much about is superannuation. But it is one of the most tax-effective ways that you can actually invest your money in. So, Jimmy, just wanted to ask you, what do you do or what are you doing in terms of your own superannuation? And also, what's your take on salary sacrifice? Well, to be honest, in terms of my superannuation, I'm probably a bit guilty of not really putting in as much time as I should be. I'm just with a standard superannuation fund, to be honest, at this stage. So I've been really more focused on on setting up my ETFs long term. And I've sort of put that on the back burner, which is probably not the best best thing I've ever done. But in terms of salary sacrifice, I think it can certainly be a good tool, you know, when used on, you know, things like appreciating assets like houses. I mm. think it's smart. But the one thing um, that you, I mean, it's not a huge problem, but the one thing I would probably say to consider is that, you know, when you opt to salary sacrifice, you're effectively lowering your annual salary. So, 
if you plan on applying for any loans, that will generally lower your borrowing capacity. So it's one That's thing- a very good point. I don't think a lot of people have really thought about that. That's an excellent point, actually. Yeah. And even things like, you know, maternity leave and things like that, I think in some industries, you'll obviously get paid that maternity leave based on your annual salary. So that annual salary would have dropped and therefore you wouldn't get paid as much per week, uh, you know, during that maternity leave as well. Right. Hmm. No, another very interesting point. <laughs> I don't think yeah. too many people have thought about that when they when they sell their sacrifice. Hmm. Yeah, but I think another another way maybe to navigate that particular instance, although it may not be as tax effective if you, you know, uh, rather than, you know, the, the salary sacrifice approach. But I think another way is to have those additional, um, what do you say, inputs from your enhanced salary. Like, I think you can have those top-ups done to your super accounts, right, I guess. I mean, obviously, it won't be as tax effective, but you can put these additional sums into the super oh, you, on you a mean just, basis. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, just kind of whenever you feel like it, just just kind of do that, do that top-up. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you're saying? Okay, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. Because I think, yeah, you're absolutely spot on with those points, Jimmy, in terms of salary sacrifice, yeah. You're applying for cases as you mentioned for loans, right? It, it can be a bit of a challenge, but you know, another effective way, it, as I said, it's not tax effective maybe because I think that's one of the advantages of sac- salary sacrifice. But if you think that eventually the, you know, the final outcome at the end of your, means uh, at the beginning of your retirement life, uh, when you withdraw that amount of money, it's still, you know, tax you still save a decent amount of tax rather than, you know, the stock market way you, you'll be taxed a bit more, you know, when you uh, get your capital gains. So another effective strategy maybe is to just have these additional lump sums into super rather than, you know, going to, through the sal- salary sacrifice route. Yeah. Well, it's, it's once again, it's something that I've, I've, I've probably been guilty of not spending enough time on. And I think exactly what you're saying, there's, there's really smart ways to, to really limit the tax that you pay as well. So I, I really need to uh, look further into that. I, yeah, I would encourage everyone to do the same. Yep, based on whatever we've gathered from you right now, you know, you've, you've pretty switched on on your finance, you've got your uh, investment journey on the way. I think the the eventual goal is to, to, I think, achieve FIRE, like a lot of investors out there. So once you achieve FIRE, right, what will you do when you retire? And what are some of the passions you'll follow once you get get to that particular stage for me the main reason i want to find that you know that fire is is to be able to sort of spend just more time with friends and family you know like my my partner and i we kind of just want to you know pack up the car and see as much of australia as we can to be honest so having that time to explore and and to you know to spend with each other without having to think about work i think would just be an Mm -hmm. awesome feeling I, th- I also think too, like when I become a parent one day, <laughs> um, it would be, you know, it'd be pretty cool to have, uh, you know, a good involvement, you know, not only, you know, with your kid's life, but just actually not, you know, a bit different to what a regular parent would, you know what I mean? Like, I feel yeah. like if you're a bit around a little bit more and you can, you're not sort of stressed with work, you can kind of contribute to their life a little bit more as well. So fingers crossed. <laughs> yep. Uh, and that's, hopefully, that's excellent motivation. hopefully it goes on. Yeah, yeah, that is mm. definitely. It's good to hear. Good to hear. So I think you've heard Jude and I's worst investment. <laughs> yeah, no I, I would. I still won't call that as the worst investment. <laughs> Double <You're> down. Really... 
Well, <laughs> one of one of one of the worst, right? I guess, Jimmy, if you don't mind, for yourself, what hasn't worked out so well for you, and then on a positive note, what's worked out really good for you? All right, well, let's start with the bad. <laughs> to be fair, let's. To be fair, I didn't actually lose money on this, but anyway, let's. We'll get into it. So, I invested in a company, uh, the Australian company Aristocrat Leisure, which is that it's an Aussie developer for like online gambling and pokies. Uh-huh. Um, so the investment within like six months, it actually made me like 45%. Wow. So in wow. terms of the actual return, it, it was good. But like morally, like what, what the company stood for and what they did didn't really sit well with me, you know, once I really truly understood what they what they actually did. And, you know, gambling mm. is something that has and, and, you know, will continue to ruin a lot of people's lives. So the fact that I was like a part of fueling that, I didn't feel too flash about. So you know that lesson the lesson for me in terms of a bad investment is investing something that investing in something that I just really just completely you know despise to be honest so <laughs> so that's something that i suppose when it comes to you know looking at stocks down the track and actually choosing a particular stock i think at least making sure that it aligns with your morals and like actually what you what you sort of believe in i suppose is a good lesson to take out of that yeah i think that's very important like when you invest in it's got to be aligning with your values and your morals otherwise yeah it just doesn't sit right as you mentioned so no that's yeah. definitely a good point but in terms of in terms of uh you know my best investment mm. i'd probably say it's in the australian company uh corporate travel management so oh, yeah so when yeah when i actually picked it up when that stock crash hit early last year, I noticed their share price dropped, you know, quite heavily along with, you know, the other companies in that travel sector. Flights and, and a Webjet and so forth. Oh, yeah, correct. Yeah. Mm. So Qantas, you know. So my goal through that was just I knew there had to be one travel stock that was actually in a financially strong position. Mm. I knew there was there was one out there that actually was worthy. But corporate travel, like they had really low debt. They had a really good cash reserve. And I was pretty confident and I am still very confident that they'll be able to stay afloat for the duration of these travel bans. So, you know, since that, I think I picked it up for around about $8. The stock price is sitting at around $22 now. Nice. Um, so so about, yeah, about, about, about 130% at this stage. So That's pretty sweet. So you're hoping it follows the same or similar pattern to Afterpay. The upward trend, I mean, 8 to $100. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> as long as it doesn't go the way A2 Milk did, we're all laughing. <laughs> Damn, that's going to haunt us for a bit. All right. So, well, Jimmy, if, Jimmy, if, if, um, um, if you had to start with Star Trek, so what so would what you do differently in terms of any of those Well, in terms of how I actually research a stock, I don't think I would really change much, to be honest, because... If anything, I was overly conservative with with a lot of my evaluations. So, I think that's probably one thing I will say is if you if you're looking to start investing in individual stocks, you know your best at least uh, you know heeding with a side of caution to to begin. So I don't I, I don't feel like I I went over the top. But what I would say is you know looking back with hindsight during that pandemic period, the one thing I probably should have done is in the investments that I did make, probably put a bit more on it, to be honest. Mm. I could have been a little bit more aggressive in terms of the amount, but at that time, you know, it's um, it's an it's an unknown time. And if I will say anything, it's better to stay on the conservative side rather than, 
be you know stretching your limits too much well that's some real good advice jimmy it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today before you go what would be your top 3 key takeaways for any rookie investor out there oh top 3 well i would say i would say just do first and foremost readers and read and and find as much information whether that's videos you know books whatever sort of interests you just just try and you know get as much information in on from people who have done it before you so you know for me it was Warren Buffett you know or, you know what, whatever type of investor you want to be just try and learn from those who have done it before you i would say i would say as i mentioned just earlier probably stay on that conservative side just for you know the first couple of years i i certainly don't think anyone wants to lose all their money straight away so and the other thing too is 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 align yourself with others that have similar goals so whether that's you know whether that's a partner or 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 friends i find you know when you when it comes with money and investing you, you generally are who you hang out with and so yeah. if you if if you have a certain goal in mind you know try and find people that have similar goals and 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 work towards that perfect perfect that sounds really good right learn uh, have a good sound strategy which is conservative at at the start and obviously surround yourself with with like-minded people who you know you can learn from so very good and sound advice to all the listeners out there Yeah for sure Jimmy it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and for our listeners out there thank you very much for tuning in I hope you enjoyed it please check out Jimmy's channel if you haven't done so already and subscribe so just search for the rookie investor on YouTube you can also find him on Instagram as well and always guys if you haven't checked out our website our website is oz-investing.com spelled oz-investing and consider joining our email list also check us out on social media there are links on our website and if you like to contact us please send us an email it's ozinvesting2020@gmail.com or through the contact section on our website so before that said and done i hope you enjoy the rest of your day and we'll catch you in the next episode see you later